This is the Hockey News Storytellers with Ian Palver. Storytellers, episode four. This episode's guest is Scott Gomez. Most listeners will remember Scott Gomez as a dynamic player in the NHL, a former Rookie of the Year who went on to win two Stanley Cups with the New Jersey Devils. Scott played over a thousand NHL games during his 17-year career. On a personal note, Scott was one of the pioneers of the Will Sports Group. Scott, along with Brian McCabe, were my first two clients, and that for that, I will forever be grateful. On two occasions, once as an agent and another as a labor lawyer at the NHLPA, represented Scott in two salary arbitration hearings against the New Jersey Devils, which harkens back a lot of great memories, to say the least. Scott hails from Anchorage, Alaska, and one can safely say that Scott is one of the true ambassadors to the great state of Alaska. The Scotty Gomez Foundation established in 2009 has done outstanding work in Alaska, specifically in the world of hockey for youth. I have worked in the hockey world for 30 plus years and I can say without a doubt that Scott Gomez is one of the greatest storytellers around. Scott has an incredible recall for people and events. Since leaving the game, Scott has combined his past playing experience with his dynamic, most unique personality to launch a great, entertaining, web-based digital platform, Scotty's House, and the story time with with Uncle Scott. Welcome to the podcast, Scott Gomez. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's quite the introduction, Ian. (laughs) Hey, I, I, I try to please my guests. Yeah, right. Good job. <laughs> Before we dive into what Scotty's house is all about, and all about, I think it's important to give some background to the audience so they can fully appreciate and understand your mission, your platform, and how it all came together. And I think that the best way to do that is try and briefly highlight who you are, where you came from, and um, what you accomplished. So let's dive right into it. I'm gonna take you back to your 19 year old self. You had two great years in junior hockey. You're a New Jersey devil draft pick and you, you, you show up in New Jersey and you did something that very few to this date have ever done. And that's crack a Lou Lamorello roster without going to the minors. How did it yeah. all go down? Well, um, I was, I think I was more disappointed. Uh, I think I should have made it my 18 year old year and I kind of came out of nowhere and they, uh, I was the last pick. I mean, literally the last guy getting sent home. They didn't, they weren't sure if they were going to keep me for, uh, you know, if they, if you signed, you had to play 10 games or you're up for good. Yeah. So I was, I was more uh, pissed off about that. But then the next year, that's when I guess I was kind of in the picture and they, I don't know if it was legal or not, but I went up to Jersey uh, like nine or 10 weeks before camp and uh, 
me, Colin White, uh, Sergey Breland, um, basically a couple other guys. They all, uh, Pierre Gagnier. There was a couple other guys that were involved, and they kind of they didn't really have to stick with it. But we had to meet the the famous Vladimir Bure, and uh-huh. we and we still you know still me Whitey all of us still laugh about this today. I mean we we went through hell for for <laughs> for for those nine weeks, and uh, you know it was, it was Slava Fatisov's idea that uh, Lou hire Vladimir Bure to train guys, you know. And I mean, the train, you can tell why his, his kids, Pavel, Valerie were so uh, at a different level, just because, I mean, the training we put in it, it, I mean, the guys that went through it, I mean, you look at their careers or just the start that we got from him. And um, yeah. And I, I kind of got lucky. The fact that John Madden was the guy going to come next, you know, the devils used to work. There'd be a guy that's coming next in the, in the scene. And, and dog was, uh, was the next one up. And same thing. I had just had another great camp and I got lucky. And probably the only reason why is um, Pat, Patrick Eliash and uh, Brendan Moore, Brendan Morrison, they, uh, they held out, they uh-huh. were holding out. So there was two spots. And uh, I mean, it just, it was, it was like that for me. And I started out in the wing and, um, but I think people don't realize, you know, I was pretty high in the draft, like rated the top fives, you know, my name was up there. And then, I got hurt that whole year of my draft year. I didn't play barely any. So I, I fell down, uh, slipped down in the draft. But the greatest thing that probably happened was I, you know, I went to an established team. I went to, went to I mean, you walk into a locker room and there's Scotty Stevens, Broder, uh, Bobby Holik, Nita I mean, guys that were just – so, I mean, I don't want to say there was more pressure on me, just the fact that if you're a high draft pick, you're going into an organization probably that's – that's struggling maybe a little bit more pressure is going to be on you. I mean, me, it was just, no one kind of even knew, no one knew what this little Mexican guy's doing here or, or that he was, uh, that he could actually play. So, I mean, yeah, I, I got benefited really from that going into that structure, that, that team um, real right from the get go, realizing um, what it's like to be a pro, what it takes. Um, and that was kind of just the start of it. And going into that room, I mean, I don't think there's rooms anymore in the league like Stevens, Holik, McKay, Odalin, veteran character guys taking care of younger guys. Did the vets back then look out for the younger guys once you made the team? Yeah, it was like, I would say a good one. Uh, I got put next to Randy McKay. And the year before I, I sat next to him and guy didn't say one word to me at all. And I'm like, what a dick. And uh, I, uh, the next year I got to know Randy better. And then we're in the locker room and I said, um, like, man, Hey, you're, you're actually a really cool guy. Like, why were you, uh, why were you so quiet? Like, he's just a mean looking guy. And I go, yeah, you're actually awesome. Like, you know, why were you such a dick last year? And he goes, I'm bad with names. And I, I said, well, what is that? He goes, make the fucking team. And then, uh, and then I'll know your name and then, and then I'll be cool to you or something like that. So it was, it was, it was, it was hilarious like that, but, the guys in that room, uh, you know, they didn't know my personality yet. They just, you, you, I think back then it's changed a lot just because it's, it's younger now, but I mean, literally you just, you didn't want to be heard or kind of be seen. You just, you kind of, you, you just kind of stay out of everyone's way till you get to know, I mean, you know, first month or so, or so it's actually, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible experience uh, playing in the NHL because you're coming from, the whole your whole life hanging out with the guys uh being with guys that are your age um 
you know, always, always together, always together. And then when you get to the NHL, you don't know anyone. And these, you know, everyone's got families, they got their own thing and you're just new to this all. And I think the biggest advice or anything was just, just be quiet. I, you know, make sure you're the last one in the shower, last one out of the room. And, and then once you get to know the guys and, and they get to know you, it changes, but yeah, definitely in the beginning. I mean, if there's any advice I'd give the young guys, just, you know, don't be heard. Don't be seen. Just do, do, do your stuff on the ice. And, uh, that'll lead to better uh that'll, that'll lead to more opportunities off the ice let's put it so true I, I mean i've had guys that have absolutely struggled because they went into locker rooms that kind of w w got too comfortable too soon you know yeah and it, it, it's, it's it something also, that though, you have to be aware of but they would you know and the devil's room was different too because you know i think it was it was different for most guys um that make an nhl roster and you're in the locker room because it's way different when the boss is always around and not being Lou Lamarillo. Like, I mean, the guy would come out of the ceiling, like mission impossible. Like and he's there all of a sudden. And so you always had to keep your, uh, your toes, uh, head up, head up for that guy. But, and also saying that you learned right away that, um, you know, the vets, once they realize that you're, you're going to be there, it wasn't, it wasn't, you're just there. You're there to contribute. You're there. To, you're, you're obviously here for a reason and that's to help win the Stanley cup. So a lot of the like rookie stuff that I tried to get away with on the ice, I think it was game 10 or maybe 20. It was one of those. I, I, I messed up again in the D zone and uh, Bobby and uh, Claude Lemieux kind of grabbed me and, and I gave him the old, uh, well, Hey, I'm just a rookie. And they basically said to me, they're like, no, no, that that's over with. You've been here 20 games now. Now it's, uh, the, you know, that those mistakes can't happen anymore. You, you're here for a reason. And, you know, once, once that excuse, uh, was taken away from me, uh, yeah, you kind of had to grow up a little bit, but the guys were great. And the main thing about the devils back then was, uh, was the practices. Like when you got Scotty Stevens is the hardest working guy out on the ice, everyone else just, you fall into place right away. And guys, they didn't care what you did. They didn't care if you were out all night. You know, as long as you got on that ice and for 45 minutes or whatever it was, you gave it your all. And uh, and it's pretty easy when, like I said, the captain is uh, is the hardest working guy. I mean, he's 35 at the time or whatever, and you're just 19. I mean, yeah, it's you right. uh, you fall in a line pretty quick. So you you if you think back about it, uh, think back about your career. You were one of the few guys that got five or six, I think five full years in the NHL before the lockout of 0405. And then you continued on for another, I don't know, 10 plus years after. And um, so you lived pre-cap and you played post-cap. The game changed. The locker rooms clearly changed yeah. over time. I mean. Well, the, the locker rooms changed were, I mean, Okay, after the lockout, yeah, this maybe the skill level and the younger guys coming in were, you know, it was, it was better hockey. I mean, you know, some of the guys that I played with, they'd be the first to tell you that I don't know if I could play in the league. You know, it just it, it's what it was. But um, also, it was, it was like the character, character guys kind of got weeded out of the room, um, and that was a bummer because the fact that, you know, you had a guy that would uh, would make sure you know, everyone's taking care of, uh, you know, off the ice, make sure we're all set up to, we're going to, even if it's just in a room, going to have beers together. Uh, we're, as a team, you always had those guys where it seemed, uh, uh, 
when the lockout and all that, and I guess the new game kind of came in, those guys were now problems where before they were great character guys in the room. Now they became problems, which was bullshit. And, uh, but yeah, so a lot of guys that uh, I think a lot of the, a lot of the culture in the locker rooms, and that's just not me just saying it. I mean, you ask any guy that my age that saw both ends of it, it's uh, that's kind of what got taken, taken out of it. I mean, I, I remember guys that when I was a rookie or young guy, guys wouldn't want to leave the locker room. They could care less if they played. They just didn't want to leave the locker room. And, you know, I was talking to guys my age. When we got to that age, it was more of like, wow, you're going to miss the game because the locker room. And it's, it's just it's just the way it is. I mean, uh, it's the personality. I mean, the kids grew up with, uh, you know, they their geniuses on the phones and everything. They It was just that kind of got taken out of the right. the, the, yeah. the atmosphere. So it wasn't a kid's fault that came in later on and, you know, he felt more comfortable. He was – he was already talking or, or you know, back in the, in the old days, that would never happen, but that's just the culture it was now. I mean, the kids yeah. were all kind of more, it was more younger. I mean, it was, uh, you didn't really have to pay your dues and that's not their fault. It's just the way it's the way it was. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's the money was uh, bigger. Uh, they, you kind of had more rights, I guess to say, I mean, you know, that like going in the devils, I mean, you know, back before that first lockout or the second one, I mean, you were a free agent at 31. I mean, right. I think people forget that, that, I mean, yeah. you had, you were stuck with the team. You, you would have been stuck with the team with a long time where you really didn't have any rights until, until you could go to arbitration, which we did twice, which, uh, you know, that was the, briefs, a, yeah. the famous briefs are right here. Yeah. That, I mean, that was, uh, and that's a whole experience. I mean, it's almost like you kind of got lucky going through that. I think, I remember, I think you told me that just for the fact that you're really going to find out now this is a business. I mean, you're, and I, and I never understood why guys would take arbitration personal because, hey, you're trying to get your money. They're trying to save their money. And you're going to hear stuff that you, you can't believe. And I think that first time we went, I think the meetings were like, it seemed like it was an hour and a half or even longer. I think they cut them down the second time. But no, they did. You're in, a, you're in a room for that long just getting tore up. And, I mean, yeah, you're going to get mad. But at the same time, it, you really realize that, okay, wow, this is uh, – this is a business and, um, you know, yeah, it just kind of opened your eyes. Sometimes I wonder whether Lou, um, in a good way, looking back on it, I mean, if you think about it, I was involved with Billy Guerin. I was involved with Scott Niedermeyer. I was involved with Bobby Holik before you. I mean, mm -hmm. there were star players in Jersey that ended up in arbitration and, you know, for whatever reasons, guys went on their ways, but um you know that was Lou's way of doing business but it was an eye-opener to the player and it was an education at the end of the day and none of that goes on anymore um very yeah. few guys end up in hearing rooms and it's a lot different um so well, I remember the second time we went um you know after getting I think we were asking for five or whatever and uh I just remember like being in the room so like you know, you're pissed off, lose there with all his cronies and, and you're just, you're getting tore up, whatever. But the funniest part was, was after the meeting, uh, Lou asked me, he's like, how are you getting home? And it was Saturday. And I think I was leaving the next day, you know, in Toronto, Sunday, probably, you know, customs and all that. And Lou was like, yeah, Hey, uh, do you want to just come, you want to fly with me on the, on right. the jet? And I was like, shit if i could i'll be back in new york by uh 
you know, by 10, I, I, I'd be back in New York by early and I, I think Pando and them were going out. So it worked out perfect. I mean, here we just got blasted by this guy and then, it, you know, we're on the plane, just looked at each other and was like, hey, it's business, nothing, it's nothing personal. I, I, I guess that's what makes Lou a spe the special guy he is. Yeah, 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 I guess. One of a kind. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, 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 for the audience, I believe that your, your devil years um, taught you uh, the culture, the soul, the success, which carries through and you go on and I'll tell the audience right now, if you want to hear the realities of being in the NHL, there's no better podcast to go listen to Scott Gomez being interviewed on Spit and Chicklets. It's not the purpose of this um, interview, but uh, I, I knew most of the stories, but when you hear them again and again on that podcast, I would encourage everybody to go listen to the nuts and bolts of the realities of playing in the national league. Uh, don't leave this podcast, but you know, when it's all said and done, look up the Gomez interview on spit and chicklets. Um, so you go on with your successful career um, in the NHL stops in Montreal, New York and others along the way. But during the lockout of 2004, 2005, you do something that not many other NHL players did, and that was go play in the East Coast Hockey League in your home state of Alaska. What was that like? Well, what happened there was uh, I, uh, I was going to go to Russia because uh, Igor Larionov became really close to Iggy and his home team. He, uh, he basically set it up, and um, I was already skating with – the aces and i mean there was like six alaskan kids that i grew up with i'm already you know i'm with them with the boys it's it's you know it's great so then i go to russia to check it out uh iggy's gonna have me go down there for two weeks and uh barry smith the coach uh, assistant coach for the red wings me and him went and our first two days were in moscow and shit I iggy was with us and i'm uh where do i sign this is oh my god this is gonna be great and then we went kind of find out where we were going to live, where we we're going to stay, nothing taking nothing away, but it was, it wasn't really in Moscow, like they said. And then we went on the road and we traveled with the team for like a week and it was just different. I, uh, I, I saw some of the guys, I saw Vinny LeCavier, um, a couple other guys and they were just like, it's a different experience here, man. It's not, uh, maybe not what everyone thinks. Uh, at this point I'd already been home. Um, kind of it already got the, the 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 wheels rolling like man i could probably play at home they, they were gonna they kept a spot open i mean um you know it was it was before so it wasn't like some guy was getting you know if i was gonna play he's gonna have to leave i mean they they, they kept a spot because there was there was rumors and there was kind of yeah this could probably work and let's face it it was uh it was my opportunity to give back to to my state um the 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 aces were a great organization um they had a great team there was great guys and yeah i remember uh all right let's do this and i think the only time i really really uh questioned it was we had three games right away uh, i hadn't played back to back to back to, i don't know when and then we got we flew out monday morning at 7 and 7 a.m we flew to seattle caught a flight to la 
the bus was two hours late, got on a bus ride. We went up to Fresno, um, played that the next day, got back on a bus, went back down to San Diego, played, and then went back up to Bakersfield. And I was sitting on the bus going, shit, I don't know. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I want to do this or if I can do this. But uh, yeah, once you got, uh, you know, once the boys knew kind of who I was, and I mean, it's a little different when, um, you know, I do remember my first, I, I wanted to be treated the same. I didn't want, you know, I didn't want anyone to think I was getting special privileges. And we get on the plane and I have a middle seat <laughs> and it's, it's, it's going to be a while. And I'm like, Oh shit. And I have a friend, Mike Lee, and he's, you know, he's, he's six foot two, huge, you know, big guy. And anyway, I'm like, Hey, Lizzie, I'll, uh, I'll give you 50 bucks if you change seats. And right away he just jumps up and I switch. And then right. Joel, Joel Talbert, this great kid, uh, kind of informs me how the coast works. And he says, Gomer, you could have gave him five bucks and he's going to switch. Right. <laughs> so, so just stuff like that. It was great though. The team, we had a great team. We had a great, uh, the town was rocking. I mean, it, just to be playing again with, uh, with kids you grew up with. And, and I got, you know, I met some of the, some great, you know, some great individuals like Keith McCambridge, he's coaching. Uh, what a leader that guy was. Uh, Ryan Bass, he's still one of my closest friends. I mean, we just, and, and plus I, I, I'd been with the devils so long that, you know, it was pretty strict. We had our fun. So this was like the first time where, uh, you know, the Gomer had no rules, man. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, that, that was probably the year that, uh, you look back and it, I mean, all the guys we, you know, get, get together. We had a, a ACES uh, alumni and, um, I mean, I don't think we ever partied on and on off the ice like that. And I don't think I, I, no one could ever match that. I mean, we just, what a great group, what a great fun right. or great time we had. And like I said, the town was rocking and it was, uh, I'm glad I did it. I'm, uh, I look back now and, and people are so grateful I did it. I mean, I was just, I just kind of wanted to stay home. I saw the Russian thing and I, it probably just wasn't for me, but. So the, you know, the, the Russian thing was an old bait and switch. Hey, here's downtown Moscow, the Ritz Carlton, Iggy. Hey, Scott, look at this. Hey, the Ritz. No, it wasn't like and that. Now, and then you go out to Voxshank, or I think I'm Voxshank. Yeah, that town was actually all right, but it was it was when we got on the road, and, I mean, it was like, wow. I mean, you're in, you know, and it's just the way Russia works. I mean, they're getting, yeah. people are great and everything, but there's third world countries. And, I mean, guys were like, you know, I talked to Vinny and I talked to a couple other guys. They were like, you know, like pregame skates are an hour. Uh, they have to stay in barracks the night before. I mean, there was a lot that that guys didn't know. I mean, and it's taken nothing away. I mean, the money Iggy on them offered was, was great, but but I already been right, I'd already been in Alaska. I'd already been skating with the Aces, and I've already you know it was it was getting to that time where it was just you know what I could if I could do this, I, I might as well do this. And uh, so that's basically what happened. But no, I mean, and it's different when you're with Igor. Larianov oh, in Moscow. Yeah. It's like basically being with Michael Jordan or, you know, and when Iggy left, when, when Iggy left, it was like, well, this is a little different, but uh, no, I'm, I'm still grateful that Iggy offered me that. And, uh, you know, still a great friend, close friend. And, uh, but yeah, I'd already been at home and I was like, I'm, I'm going to stay here. Scott, uh, my first trip with Iggy to Moscow did never happen. He pulled the shoot on me the last second and I got there and I was like, fish out of fish out of water my next four trips with him he is the oh god he is the pope it can't i mean i'm sure it's like going with the you know ovechkins and those guys of the world but i mean you go with him and i mean it, especially i i 
I was fortunate when uh, Slava Tisov was there the second time I went when Igor, Igor had his retirement game. And just, I mean, the, the magnitude of those guys, legends. I mean, it's just, you can't even explain it. Just uh, just walking around with those guys. It was, uh, you know, it was probably the equivalent of being with like Jordan or, you know, Muhammad Ali. I mean, it was, it was just, yeah. it was incredible. Just how, how big those Igor guys are. Igor Larionov will stop and talk to anybody on the street for as long as they want to talk to him. And he looks them in the eye and makes them feel great. And it's all sincere, real, and he's a legend. Oh, he's, he's the, the professor, man. He was, I was with Darren McCarty and uh, we did one of those, uh, we'll get into that. But uh, yeah, it's just hearing, uh, just hearing Mac stories with all those Red Wing guys. I mean, um, and like Darren McCarty said, he goes, Slava and Igor, like basically changed the culture of the Red Wings. I mean, it was just, it was so family oriented. I mean, when you played with Iggy, that's what he was just, he was so kind, so great. I mean, just the knowledge and everything and just him giving back was just it was yep. incredible. It was incredible to see. Yeah. So while we're on the Alaska topic, the Scott Gomez Foundation, here it is. Yeah. Um, you know, talk to us a little bit about how your family ended up in Alaska and, you know, how it, the whole thing ties together, how it's near and dear to your heart and your parents and where they're from. Well, you know, I guess you really want to ask is how does a Mexican Colombian end up in Alaska that plays hockey? I mean, that's, that's usually the question everyone, everyone comes out with, but you know, you know, you know, cause you know, being Alaska is really, really diverse. I mean, um, the culture it's, it's, there's, you know, race was never really uh, an issue. Just the fact, cause it's a melting pot. I mean, there's so many different diversities and so many different cultures up there where people had no idea about that. Um, my, uh, my dad got, you know, nine brothers, a couple sisters, and he's got nine first cousins. The oldest one um, went up to Alaska in the 60s because there's work. And then the pipeline, that's, it's, that's basically how everyone came over. There was just a bunch of work over there. My mom, uh, she was born in Columbia and kind of never really knew her parents, was raised by an aunt and uncle. He was a painter. They lived in New York till she was like eight or nine. And then she went up to Alaska. And, uh, you know, they Did met. they know each other at the time? No, no, they met... Uh, you know, back then or they got older and stuff, they met, uh, there's, you know, there'd be Spanish dances and that's where all the, the Latins would hang out. And that's how they met. Uh, nice. so yeah, they've been, the, you know, the, you know, they've been together since my mom was a senior in high school and, uh, the, how the foundation hockey, my dad was a huge hockey guy. Uh, he was a huge fan of, uh, Willie O'Reed, uh, for the San Diego goals. Uh, you know, he watched hockey all the time there. And it's funny cause my mom told me, uh, a couple of years ago, she's like, yeah, your dad would like come home early from, from work or he'd rush home early. And my mom would be like, why? Because it's like 84, 85 or whatever. And uh, she's like, there was some guy named Gretzky that was on TV playing. And right. so I, I was shocked. I was like, I didn't know that. And my mom was like, oh, yeah, every time, you know, it's not like today or back then, you know, if there was a hockey game on, which was rare. But, you know, my dad, I mean, I didn't. You, he'd rush home from work just to watch this Gretzky guy that was, you know, making a splash and all and that. And uh, the college hockey program up there is always, it was always great. And my dad took me to a college game. Um, I, I wanted to play. And back then the boys and girls club would give gear, uh, give gear out. All you needed was your skates and helmet. And I think gloves and the rest they provide. So I remember waiting in line Saturday, getting gear and uh, kind of how it happened. I didn't, I hated hockey. I didn't want to play thought it was too rough or I just was being a baby, I guess. And my dad, uh, you know, gave me a speech that 
you know, Gomez is don't quit. We, we blah, blah, whatever. And late <laughs> years later, I, I found out the only reason why my dad made me keep playing hockey was because, uh, he bought me a brand new pair of skates and oh, really? uh, he, he wasn't going to let the money go to waste. So either way I was going to finish out that year. And then, you know, I, I, like I said, we, we were fortunate that the, the college program was great up there. So we, we got to see a lot of great players and a lot of, a lot of great hockey. And, and um, that's kind of, and, and for the foundation was um, we, we wanted to do something right away or eventually we we're going to do something to give back to the state. And we waited till I don't know how many years I was in, and we finally found the niche for like, you know, my dad, you know, if it weren't for the boys and girls club, I'm probably not sitting here talking to you. So the boys and girls club is kind of struggling back in Alaska. And we just came up with the foundation and we finally found our niche that, Hey, let's, uh, let's start a hockey program where, you know, underprivileged kids, at least they get an opportunity, girls and boys to, to play hockey and uh, get to experience what we, we did. And, and yeah, it's been probably the, the greatest thing I've been uh, associated with, but my dad and another gentleman, uh, Michael Connery, passed away. But those are the two that really are, uh, you know, they're, they're the meat and potatoes behind it. They're the ones that had the vision, and uh, and it's been great ever since. Good on you guys. Uh, yeah, great stuff. And uh, I know Carlos has worked hard on that, and good on him, as he would say, good people, good people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's his line, right? <laughs> He's good people. He's good people. So one more little piece to the puzzle before we get to Scotty's house. And, and, and story time with Uncle Scott, and that's your your hobbies and kind of what you picked up along the way in your career. You know, back when we were in contact and I was representing you, I, I know that you were a book reader. I know that you played the guitar. I know you took notes. And, you know, as you're going through your career, um, you know, you had that journal with you. Um, and um, I know that you explored cities. Tell us a little bit about like Scott Gomez away from the ice, away from the locker room and how kind of now it's kind of coming all together. Well, um, I was, you know, I, I played in the dub. So, you know, we had those long bus rides and I was more of a guy that in the beginning was like, I could tell you exactly who the, the power couple in Hollywood was going to break up because that's all I used to read was like the people magazines, all that other, you know, the U S weekly, all that's all I read. And National so, Enquirer. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if I got to there, but, but I was, <laughs> my, dream was uh, my dream was to get in the NHL. And I was thinking it's going to be like, you know, which actress is, you know, I thought it was just going to be like that world more. And so I was basically, that's all I would read. I'd come on the plane and I'd have just magazines, magazines and um, Bobby Holik used to just look at me in disgust. And he finally like gave me a, he gave me a book and it was like uh i think it was the tom brokaw's uh the greatest generation and anyway you just and i couldn't put it down and then one of the uh jeff allstutter our pr guy he gave me a hammer of the gods and i didn't even really know who led zeppelin was and shit i couldn't put this book down so then i started reading i kind of got away from the magazine and started reading reading and before you know it i was just uh I could always make up little rhymes, just funny. Like, and so I'd sit in the back and I just would write like poems about making fun of guys and okay. or about like their outfits and stuff. Or just, or if it was the stewardess, the stewies, I'd write them a poem about like, just, it was all in laughs and good fun. And before you know it, it just, you started just keeping that with you and just writing. I mean, just writing 
what the game was like or what happened or what city, what do we do, what, what I did. It was just, I don't know if it was just to get kind of, because I wasn't a card player. I wasn't, uh, kind of was on my own on the plane, just like listening to tunes and just kind of, kind of do my own thing. And so, yeah, that just became, it became more of jokes where like, I'd just be writing poems about guys, making fun of them, uh, talking shit. Uh, um, next thing you know, it became more of like, I, you know, I was writing songs, just joking around because I, I was strumming around the guitar and, and I'd always just wanted me uh, a goal was to like write a couple songs and then don't tell anyone and like get them produced, just whatever. And then go to a, go to a guy's house and put this on and not right. say anything, you know, have, and just be like, wow, who's this? This is unreal. And all it takes is a couple other assholes to be like, oh, this is pretty good. And then, you know, they'd all be ashamed when they found out it was me, which, you know, I did that with a couple of quotes and, and, and I played with other guys that would start doing that. And we just, I mean, cause I remember I played with Steve Alquette and we kept uh, journals on, we had wrap offs every, every day on the plane and all the boys would gather around with the Rangers and, and we just, <laughs> we wrote raps and just right. literally, it was just literally like, uh, you know, and the, and the boys judge. So it was definitely something that um, I just kept up with. And the weird thing is, is I kept them all. Uh, yeah. And so you look back and, you kind of just reading and you just, just, it brings back memories. It brings back, you can tell when you're playing good. You can tell when you're playing bad. I mean, there were some deep, deep ones when I was in Montreal, but, but if anything, it was just something that uh, like Bobby Holik was a big, big uh, key factor in that. Like, Hey, there's more to this than just hockey, like experience, you know, there's, you, you take advantage of this because it goes really fast and, you know, write stuff down, uh, go, go, go. When you go into a city, just, you know, don't head straight to the bar, go see something historic, what the city offers and just stuff like that, where Bobby was really, really influential on that with me. And, and uh, my recollection was, is that Bobby Holik would wake up at, I don't know, seven thirty, eight o'clock every day and get to the breakfast room and read the New York times or whatever the local newspaper was that what in the city that you were in and he would sit there and read and read and read. Is that, is that, what oh, this, this guy would buy, this guy would buy every paper, every paper, the times, every, every paper, it was wherever, whatever city we were at. He'd basically take out the sports page, like give it to one of us. And then, yeah, he would be, he would read. He, he, now he says he didn't read like every, every article, but he, yeah, he would scan through. The, every paper and just read i mean the guy's knowledge was just incredible and i mean yeah and then and then like uh he wasn't a big he wasn't big uh key on napping so he would uh he would basically before when guys were napping and stuff he would he'd go to a museum or he'd go around whatever city we were at and find out the culture history and then yeah i mean you could always ask bobby any question about any place we were at and he'd give you you know and that's if people were shocked that me and him actually got along um on, on, on regards to that, like, you know, I, I, I love reading about knowledge and history and all that. So yeah, Bobby was, uh, we had some really great conversations on the plane and, and, and I know, I remember a lot of guys were really shocked about that. Cause they just thought I was kind of a goofball or whatever, but, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the, yeah. So, and, and, and that was the thing. I mean, with the boys, I would, uh, you know, I would talk in third person and, you know, at one point it was, you know, I mean, cause one time I came into the room, I think it was my uh, third year. It was before training camp and I grabbed everyone in the room and uh, I was like, Hey, there's an announcement I got to make. And so fuck the trainers, everyone, I think Lou's even down there. Like everyone, everyone thought I was probably going to say like, 
and one of my parents died this, this summer <laughs> or whatever, but, and I came down and I, I said, um, from now on, I will be known as G love. Ah. Fucking guys were like guy. I mean, it was kind of like that animal house thing. I think guys were throwing shit at me because you know, like we waited for you know, guys were like, I mean, I mean, I mean, I had everyone stay in the room and I was like, Hey, I got an announcement. This is really That's serious. This, yeah. So then the only guys that called me, uh, Everyone basically told me to F off and I wouldn't talk to guys unless they called me it, which that didn't last too long. But the only guys that kept that name for the, the older school guys, because all the young guys call me G love, but the, the, it was Corey Schwab and, uh, and Bobby Halik thought it was hilarious that this asshole came, you know, grabbed everyone and, and, and you know, myself proclaimed, you know, G love. Was Claude Lemieux there for that one or no? No, Pep wasn't there. Pep was, uh, Pep was there my rookie year and then he, he was gone, but but yeah, he uh, he 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 would have definitely uh, probably been the first to throw something at me. There's no doubt so, about it. So as we as we leave this little uh, segment, how important? Like y- y- you hit the nail on the head. You know, you play 17 years, which is a lot longer than most guys. Guys are flying around on charter planes, staying at all the Ritz Carltons. Incredible hospitality. They go into all these cities. You go into Washington, guys stay in the hotel room or they go to a monument, you know, like, yeah. you know, what's the message? The message is, is take advantage of it. You got to take advantage. I mean, and I, like I said, I was fortunate enough that, uh, that uh, I had guys like Bobby, I had other guys. I mean, that, you know, Scott Niedermeyer, they were, they were always just, they were always thinking constantly. They were always, uh, they were, um, they, they were adamant about, Hey, there's, there's other things. just hockey. This is going to go fast. And I mean, it, it did, it did. I mean, it, before you know it, you're out of it and it's, it's over, but, but in the same time, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, going to the bars and the strip clubs always going to be there. I mean, they, they ain't going anywhere, but if, you know, go get knowledge, go, go, go walk around, go see other stuff, go, uh, you know, it's a, it's an incredible world out there. There's incredible people out there. And, um, you know, it, it was just, I was fortunate to play with guys like that, that were, were, you know, that, that, that knew I was interested in other stuff besides hockey. I mean, I couldn't think of hockey 24, 24, uh, 24, seven. So, uh, you know, those guys are definitely, uh, and I'm grateful to them to this day, just for, for opening my eyes up to, to other stuff besides that. For sure. Okay. Scotty's house. So the audience can go on YouTube, click in Scotty's house and see these great segments that Scotty's done. But before we get into that, Let's set the backdrop. This Scotty Gomez plays 17 years, over a thousand games, plays for some great coaches, some not so great coaches. (laughs) Play with Hall of Famers. You play it all. You play every role in the lineup when it's all done. You play East Coast Hockey League. You play AHL Hockey League. You play National Hockey League. You have two years of coaching in the Islanders organization you made the most you can make at the top of the game and you made the least you can make in the east coast hockey league so when we say that scotty gomez has done it all you have like that's your resume and that that is what makes scotty's house and story time with scott in my opinion that much better right because yeah. as you know, there's pretenders out there, right? Well, but- I mean, you know, it's just, it's the fact that, yeah, I mean, hey, I was on top of the heat and then, you know, I don't score for fucking a hundred games. Uh, I was, you walk in and everyone treats you like this. 
And then before you know it, you're the guy that's got the plague and no one wants to be around you because they're scared. It's going to rub off on them. And those are experiences that at the time, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't want that on anyone, but also, you know, I knew there was something that's going to be come out of this. Like, like, wow, life's been good. Life was like this. So, so great. Or you, you forget about the other guys that are going, going through, you know, the worst time of their hockey careers. And now you're there. You're one of those guys where it's, it was eye-opening. Like, wow, you know, no one really is talking to you. No one really, uh, and that's, and that's the way it is. And so it was more of a life lesson where, where, man, if that ever happens, you know, once I get out of this or whatever, I mean, I'm, I'll never let a guy feel that way or, or, you know, there's other stuff. And, and, and I think people don't realize even when I was going through that year in Montreal, or, or, I still was getting phone calls from the Randy McKay's, Bobby Holik's, uh, Jim McKenzie's, Turner Stevenson's, not to ask about hockey, but to ask, you know, how I'm doing as a, per- right. as a friend, as a friend. And that was, you know, so I, I had great vets. I had people that cared. I had, you know, I had, uh, it wasn't just um, people forget about you or whatever. And those were always kind of the lessons that, that, um, that I kept. And, and that's, yeah, you know, someone can say they did it all. All right. Well, <laughs> did you do this? Did this happen? Right. No. Yeah, no, it didn't. Well, this is what, you know, yeah. I mean, and, and that was the thing, uh, you know, me personally, so I never had the, the ego where I was better than anyone else. I mean, I thought in my mind, but, but with the guys and everything, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing I got out of the devils and it's is the guys gave back and no matter what, the, what was going on with them personally, they always were there to help the younger guys out and kind of teach us how this is, this is the way it's done. This is the way it's gotta be. This is, you know, this is something you're going to have to pass down. And I never forgot that. So no matter how bad I was going for me, if I saw a young guy doing something stupid, I mean, a PK a close friend of mine, I had to, you know, I had to grab PK. I don't know how many times be like, we're down five, nothing. You score a goal. You can't do the whoop law. Like, just don't right. do that. Like, you know, whether you listen to me or not, it wasn't, but, but Hey, it's something that was given back to me. I'm going to pass that down. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, people ask about what it's like to, you know, be booed in front of 19,000 people. Well, it sucks. What, what are you going to do? I mean, Hey, you know, you're, you're, you're there. I mean, you're, you're sitting there, you find out about other people, you find out about teammates, you find out about like, you know, when things are going good and we're all, we're all the best teammates, but when things are going bad, what's, you know, we find out a guy's true character and that. And, and it's right. just, it's like anything I'd give advice to these guys. I mean, you're playing in the league, you're doing everything. Everything's a life lesson for something that's going to happen later on. You might not think about it now because it's so great, but it's going to, it's going to, the way you act and the way you handle it and react to it now, it's going to help you out in the long run. And, and so I was always fortunate with that. So let's, let's tell the audience about how, to, what's Scotty's house how did you come up with it? I know it, it started in Alaska, but Scotty's house is all over the world now. And, you know, um, it's, it, it, it's, there's, there are no borders. So, so here's what happened. Um, I did the coaching. I did the TV. I did the coaching. It wasn't probably, you know, just wasn't, maybe it was different than what I thought it'd be. So sitting around and most guys are going to have to realize this is going to happen. I mean, you're, you know, it's boring. Don't retire. Play as long as you can. But now we're sitting around and uh, I've got to do something. And I'm a big, you know, biography guy and documentaries. I mean, that's, that's all I could watch. I could watch documentaries just nonstop. So uh, before kind of the quarantine all hit, you're back home and there's a bunch of, you know, Alaskan shows that are on and people seem to love them. 
but there's some of them that us Alaskans were like, are you, you know, you shouldn't make people actually believe this shit. Like, so we, I came up with an idea. I said, well, there's so many other athletes that came out of Alaska guys that played in the NHL guys that played in the NBA, NFL, uh, Olympians. I mean, we have, there's everything. So instead of always hearing the same old story about me, I mean, these, these, these people deserve their, their credit or whatever. Like, Hey, let's get them, let's get them out there. And just then uh, a guy ended up being my, uh, my kind of partner in all this TJ Webb had the same idea. He emailed my dad. My dad tells me, Hey, there's this guy that kind of got the same idea. We, we hook up, we, we start talking. Yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's go for it. I had a, I had a, uh, we have a pond hockey tournament, March, March 12th. So I was heading home. That was going to be the first, we're going to get a bunch of the athletes interview them. And the quarantine hit. Uh, you can't really interview anyone. Right. And so we're kind of just sitting around. And when I played, when I played, I used to mess with my old teammates all the time. Like I remember sitting with Steve Alcat on a bus one time and I'm like, we're, we're, we're driving by a mall. And I'm like, yeah, that's, uh, that's basically the size of my house in Alaska. And he's like, no shit. And I'm like, yeah, it's behind a, it's behind a mountain and uh, um, it's a river and a lake. And that's where we salmon fish. And I go, and we get lucky because he was coming up that summer. And I go, if we get lucky, there's a, you know, there's a mountain lion that comes out and it wakes up the valley. You know, like, <laughs> and so this guy's thinking, holy shit. Like, so I, I always do stuff like that to guys. Right. And then when they got up to Alaska and they saw where I lived, they saw, they were like, what the fuck? They like, what happened? Where's the Lyman Valley quote unquote? Like all I thought for this whole year was that I was going to drink my coffee and see a mountain lion. You know, wake. So right. anyway, so what happened T were sitting around. I said, Hey, why don't we just, why don't we try something? I mean, let's, let's, let's do these uh, videos, like how to start a fire and, you know, other stuff. Like we just basically, it was basically make people laugh. My friends, it was basically make my friends laugh. It was during the quarantine. We were all going crazy. I mean, everyone's just kind of stuck. And that's basically what it was. It was like, Hey, let's just, let's just, if the boys, if, if the boys will laugh at this, you know, my friends and, family friends i mean that's that we've already uh we've, we've accomplished something and it kind of just took off where people you know people wanted uh wanted more they wanted more episodes they wanted to see uh you know we're bragging about alaska kind of tongue-in-cheek but we're showing neat, neat clips on alaska and, and and what to do what you can do i mean i mean in one episode we're me and a buddy were spearfishing for salmon and our bait is a woolly mammoth uh bone that's been seasoned and you know if you get the idea right. of that we're where, I mean, and then there's one where I'm starting a fire and there's two pieces of wood and I just start going like this. And uh, one of the chefs from the Islanders calls me and he's like, Comer, what the fuck? He goes, at first I thought you Alaskans were that badass. Like he actually thought I was going to start a fire with two pieces of wood where it's like I said, it's all good fun. It's all going to laugh, but it's kind of taken off. And then, uh, you know, everyone after that split in chiclets, you know, if you didn't know me, I mean, that, those are just stories that, for some odd reason, I could always remember what happened. I mean, you you know, you asked me anything in school, I should I forget? You know, if it happened happened to me and hockey and, and guys, I mean, guys can't believe uh you know you remember uh, remember all this. And uh, so when we were kids, there was this guy that would tell stories. He'd have a pipe and he'd almost look like who have. Uh, Hugh Hefner, he explain the story it was going to go on and then you'd watch the movie. And then at the end he would, so that was kind of the, the for Scotty story time. Um, yeah. I just kind of, 
we set up a scene and it also helps when you have a professional camera guy with you. I mean, right. all the boys and people were, were asking me like, Goldman, there's no way you, you're doing that. And I'm like, well, yeah, no shit. I don't know how to do that. Like, so this kid's a genius with the Instagram. I mean, I'm old school. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't know anything. I don't even know how to put a picture on that. So that was all his, he, that was his expertise. And, and yeah, we started making these story times and people just, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's took off for now. Uh, you know, guys, guys want to be a part a, a part of it. Like we, the next, uh, we went, we traveled all around the West, uh, seeing old teammates and, uh, and it's fun to hear the stories and hear their side of it, what they remembered out of it. But I mean, yeah, I mean, there's nothing better than, than hockey stories, in my opinion, or any, any old athlete story and to give back to them and make people laugh. And actually this could take off. And I mean, you know, there's been sponsors and stuff. They, they kind of want to get involved with it. And, uh, you know, that's where Matt comes in, but, but uh, just to see how this dumb idea, of how literally used to mess around with old teammates has kind of led to like people getting left. And, and, uh, that's, Hey, if, uh, if we look back in the quarantine, uh, maybe I can say, I try to do my part and just do these stupid videos that, that are actually, uh, that are actually funny. And, uh, and it is, they're true stories. And, and I mean, people can't get it, seem to get enough of them. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, I gotta tell you, uh, Matt just sent me the highlight reel or the, the spin reel that you guys put out in the summer. And, you know, just watching it gives me more than a chuckle and it's good, it's good humor. And the audience definitely has to get to Scott C. Gomez's Instagram and also uh, Scotty's house. And um, so as we wrap up here, uh, let's, let's get to two last things. You recently toured America in an RV. I understand you went oh, from- fuck. Arizona to Saint Salt Lake City to Michigan to the Upper Peninsula to Portland down to San Diego in two months. Did you drive that whole thing? Well, yeah, I mean, we had a Sprinter van, so like I said, I mean, people were looking at us like we're crazy, but uh, you know, get to see old teammates. Um, there's not much going on. I mean, you know, so hey, let's let's travel and. Uh, you know, and it, it brought back memories of uh, riding on those long bus rides. And, uh, but yeah, you put in a shift, uh, you know, I think one time, I think I got up to like 12 hours dri driving it, but it's like anything by the, by the third week, you absolutely hate each other. I mean, uh, and then the TJ, my, my business partner, the guy that doesn't, I mean, he's that asshole that drives 90 miles an hour on someone's ass the whole time. And you're sitting there like, what you like? So yeah, you have to, it was quite the experience, man. And it was, uh, we, but the greatest part was, was got to see old teammates. They got to be, you know, involved with their stories. They're dressed up as the part. They're dressed up. The only one that wouldn't was Bobby. And I knew he wasn't going to do it, but uh, yeah, we got to, got to see my old teammates. You got to see places, uh, you know, around the, the U S and the West that, you know, I hadn't seen, I hadn't been, I hadn't seen for a while. And uh, yeah, I got the exposure and now it took off so well. Now, now the list of, uh, now that the list of guys out East, I mean, they're all stacked up. Uh, the guys, you know, Gianta, Motto, uh, Jimmy Dowd, uh, Dano, um, probably get, you know, Scott, get, get out. I mean, all these guys are ready for it. So, so I don't know if I'm going to do the van thing. I, I've had to talk to Matt about that. I mean, because uh, <laughs> after maybe a while, you, maybe you'll you know, you go a little extra hours, dough to fly. This time. I mean, it's. Maybe you'll give you I a little think extra that's probably, dough. yeah. I mean, he's going to, he's going to have, you know, he's the boss, but, uh, yeah, you know how that works. So, because I even that was the first thing where Matt was on me about, like, hey, we, uh, you know, these guys are all waiting out east. They want to be a part of this now. And uh, 
and I was like, Hey, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can drive from Buffalo to, uh, to Florida anymore. Like this is, uh, we're going to have to figure something out because, uh, like I said, that car was just, uh, by the end, uh, it was torture. Okay. Couple last two questions to wrap it up. I have a thing on my podcast. I call it the chase. Um, I explain it. How okay. far off the, the highway will you go to a hotel to get a Starbucks coffee? Um, or do you just stay on the road and get off at the gas exits off the highway? Did you guys chase anything? Did you look up barbecue joints or famous restaurants go in off the road? Was there any of that going on? Yeah, in the beginning, in the beginning, when we were all fresh and uh, ready to go, hell yeah, we, you know, especially with TJ, he, you know, he looked something up, uh, we got to go check this thing out, we got to go to this restaurant, we got to go, uh, but then by the, you know, once it keeps going, hell no, you, the furthest you're going off the road is where the gas station's at, you're gassing up, if you're lucky, there's a Starbucks there, whatever, you're drinking coffee, but we had a kitchen and everything, and this, I mean, those vans are incredible, right. I mean, and, uh, but, in the beginning, yeah, it was like, hey, uh, we're gonna, let's go stop and see this uh, this dinosaur that's on the side of the road or that's, right. that's there. And by the end, you're just you got your middle finger up to yeah, screw that, let's get to the next guy and we'll, we'll go from there. And are you a are you are you a, a Starbucks guy or will you drink anything that's a black coffee? Will you drink a McDonald's coffee, Starbucks, yeah. Dunkin' Donuts? Uh, I- you drink anything you drink uh you drink anything uh if it's you know if, it, if it's gonna get you up like i said if there's a starbucks buy great but if it's uh 7-eleven gas gasoline fucking coffee it's just as good it's good to me but uh yeah i mean uh not too snobbish on that but uh you know it, it, there was moments where just you, you you know we have 32 hours to go like till we get to this spot and uh it just brings back a lot of memory you've seen a lot of stuff but uh you're not getting too and then you realize like, you, you know, you're, you're wearing shorts cause you're starting in Arizona. And by the time you get up 10 hours, wherever coming up North, I mean, you get out to put gas. Oh shit. I got to put a coat on everything. I mean, it's uh, it was quite the adventure. Good to hear. So, I mean, I can't urge the audience enough to get on and, and look up Scotty C Gomez, Instagram, also Scotty's house on YouTube. Scotty, thanks for taking the time uh, today to, uh, Join the nice. podcast. Uh, it was great fun and uh, good information. Hey man, you know what, Ian? I love you. I owe you. You're the reason why. Uh, you're the reason why I can still uh, still do all this uh, fun stuff because of you. So so uh, yeah. So uh, always always be thankful for that. Yeah, uh, you're welcome, and it was a pleasure. And thank you, the listeners, for listening to us today. We appreciate you. With over 2 million dedicated readers, the Hockey News is the authoritative source of hockey and number one hockey publication in North America. With an ever-growing podcast network, the Hockey News is there to cover all the major hockey stories around the world. Visit THN.com slash deal to get the best value on a subscription to the Hockey News. Thank you. Oh, hey. Oh, good and talk. Oh, bonjour.
Welcome back. Let's find out what old your Uncle Scott had to do this summer. Go, go, go! If I'm out here, gun over there. I can't get to it. I see a bear. Just like that, another one comes. That simple. One, two, three, four, five. Five little nuggets right there. For our ingredients today, rosemary, garlic, salt, pepper, butter, oil, Montreal seasoning. Last but not least, steak. Beautiful piece of meat here. This is from the Scotty Gomez Merrill Field Ranch. Killed it myself this morning. When you're out on the river, the most important thing is the crew you're with and the people you're responsible for. They're looking at me. They need to survive. That means I must survive. God damn, I got a huge fish on. God. Get up, get up here, get up, get up. God damn it. I know, it's a survival, survive, survive. Today's episode, we're gonna teach, or I guess I'm gonna teach you how to make a bacon candle. It's gonna be wild, crazy. Let's see how this baby lights. And the fishing isn't good. It's good to come over to the Northwestern Glacier. Sing it a little song, pump it up. Just another day in here in Alaska. Let's come say hi, look how the fishing report is. Usually the settler seals will uh, let you know. That's how we get it done here in Alaska. Another halibut. Like we saw last week, caught this fresh. Fresh Alaskan halibut. Now, grab the tartar sauce. Use your spoonful and just lightly drizzle it over. Drizzle, drizzle, drizzle. Right here. Heart, dedication, determination, will, desire. You can be that way.